Friends, let's go to God in prayer. Holy One, help us now to tune out the daily noise that distracts our hearts and minds so that we might allow ourselves to more fully realize your presence among us. Amen. Judges 4, 1 through 10. The Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harushith Hagoyim. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly 20 years. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, son of Avinoam, from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Vadikishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, I am so grateful for the opportunity to preach from this pulpit once again, and this time with the added benefit of having some of you here in the pews. It is an honor to share this space and proclaim the word here today. Before I begin, I want to note that part of the content of this sermon is naming scriptural accounts of violence against women. With that in mind, as you listen, please don't hesitate to do what you need to to take care of yourself, even if that means stepping out for a bit of fresh air. Caring for yourself is a holy act, and the spirit is not confined to the walls of this sanctuary, so please be gentle with yourselves. As you may remember, we are right in the middle of a sermon series called There's Someone I'd Like You to Meet, and it's giving airtime to some of the players in scripture 
who tend to get glossed over from glossed over from the pulpit. And despite their brevity, they have a lot to teach us about our faith. Today, as you just heard from Dale, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Deborah, judge of Israel. Now, Deborah is the first of the folks in this sermon series to come to us from the Hebrew Bible or Old Testament, making her appearances in the fourth and fifth chapters of the book of Judges. Judges is a book that we tend not to visit very often. In fact, it's one that we tend to shy away from. And that's not because it's dry or uninteresting. Rather, the book of Judges is a book full of horrific violence. It's a book full of human cruelty and maddening cycles of abuse. On six separate occasions, by my count, the book of Judges utters the phrase, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, demonstrating humanity's cavalier attitude toward our covenant with God. Many scholars have described the book of Judges as a story of gradual decline and ruin. Judges holds up a mirror to the most vicious parts of ourselves, and it does not flinch in doing so. You may be wondering why, then, I chose to use one of the three occasions I have to preach here on such a book. I'm wondering that myself, actually. One reason is the very fact that it is a book that we often try to avoid, and this is a sermon series about characters we don't usually hear of on Sunday. Another reason, perhaps, is that the book of Judges has more female characters than any other book in the Bible, and that many of them, as I said before, are the subjects of the violence portrayed throughout the book. And while it is a heavy conversation to have, if we believe that being Christian means witnessing to scripture, then we need to do so even and especially with the parts of it that we would prefer to ignore. I think maybe I chose to introduce you to Deborah because she exists in circumstances that are so severe and so intense that I felt confident that meant her response to her environment would have equally intense implications for us about what it means to be a person of faith. Frankly, I think I wanted you to meet Deborah because she makes me a little uncomfortable. And that means all the more that we need to pay attention to her story. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Everyone, I would like you to meet Deborah. Her CV includes the distinctions of prophet, wife, and judge. 
The particular Hebrew word identifying her as a judge is actually the same one used to describe Moses in the book of Exodus as an arbiter of disputes, the one who the community comes to as a mediator and a source of resolution. Verse 5 tells us that Deborah even had a palm tree that it seems she held court underneath so often that it was named for her. I imagine it not unlike a professor's office hours. She would sit out in public, making herself available to anyone who sought her, offering her divine gifts of decisive wisdom and prophetic vision. She's the kind of woman that the late Christian author Rachel Held Evans deemed a woman of valor, one who does all things with great courage and conviction. So when we see Deborah confidently prophesying for and commanding the acting general of the Israelite forces, we shouldn't be surprised. It's evident that she is confident God is calling her, and she is unapologetic about her prominent place in Israel's leadership, which is noteworthy in a time and place when we don't have abundant examples of women fulfilling roles as public and influential as this one. This scripture, by my estimation, plainly witnesses to the fact that women have always had the capacity to wield power and authority. God's call is not one that is dependent upon the particularities of the bodies we're born into. Deborah is a woman. Deborah also serves as a competent and capable judge. There's no doubt that Deborah is a trailblazer of sorts, breaking what we would call a glass ceiling to fill a prominent position of power. What remains more ambiguous, in my view, is whether the position itself brings about God's promise of liberation, of justice, and of true peace for all people. When I first read Jane Eyre, the classic Charlotte Bronte novel, as a senior in high school for my AP English literature class, I was immediately enthralled. The novel is dramatic, but not outlandish. The prose is breathtaking, and the characters are, in many ways, ahead of their time at its publishing in 1847. It remains one of my favorite novels, in part because of the way that it depicts its protagonist. Jane is described by subsequent critics as a sort of proto-feminist, a woman with a rich interior life, her own autonomy, and complex motives that exist at times outside of the interests of the male characters in the novel. So I was a bit taken aback when, as I studied the novel again in my classic and women's literature courses at the University of Nebraska, criticism of Jane was rightly raised. Jane is, in many ways, 
an inspiration. She's the first of her kind in this sort of literature to decide her own fate in a place and time where all too often women were expected to silently submit to the predetermined will of the powerful men in their lives. She also exists in a system that perpetuates violence and ultimately results in death for another far less powerful woman in her orbit. And she perpetuates a narrative that pits the two women against one another. I've already told you that scholars characterize the book of Judges as an account of Israel's decline and of humanity's continual disregard for our covenant with God. I mentioned, too, that this book contains many accounts of violence against women and girls. By the book's end, readers are forced to witness an account of an unnamed woman traveling to Ephraim, the very place where Deborah held court beneath a palm tree, who is mercilessly attacked, killed, and her body desecrated. Her killing is then used as a justification for civil war between the tribes of Israel, which creates more suffering and pain, widows and plundered women in the history of Israel. The book ends with the refrain, all of the people did what was right in their own eyes. When we create systems of power that rely on revenge, on greed, and disregard for our shared humanity, there are truly disastrous consequences. And this system is not Deborah's creation. It is a timeless human impulse toward hierarchy and domination, a predetermined script that Deborah and many other judges are placed into. I think that we do ourselves and scripture a disservice if we merely deem Deborah's story a win on the basis of a shallow definition of gender equality, a demonstration that women, too, can command armies and decide the law. Instead, the text, as I understand it, gives us a much more complex portrait, one of Deborah both as trailblazer demonstrating that God's prophetic gifts abound in people of all genders and as a participant in a system that resulted in war, destruction, and tremendous suffering. Where, then, is God in this story? In a world rife with violence, where people fail to see one another clearly every day as children of God, where do we turn? 
Perhaps, friends, God is the very one holding up the mirror, urging us not only to bear witness to the violence and injustice of our world, but also to interrogate in ourselves the ways that we participate, passively or otherwise, in systems that allow that violence to continue. Perhaps, too, we are meant to read these stories looking for the glimmer of God's promise for a new way. With God challenging us to ponder what it would mean to build a kingdom that serves not our desire for power, but instead God's desire for peace. Perhaps we can find solace in the fact that even after countless stories demonstrating our capacity for harm, God continues to believe enough in our capacity for good to invite us back into covenant relationship again and again. Beloved ones, may we all possess the courage to see ourselves with honest and clear eyes and the faith to believe that God is still inviting us into the promise of a new way. Amen.